Hello, everyone. This is your host, George Boo, and welcome to another episode of The George Boo Show. Today, please join me, Scott Tomlinson, who's our guest host. Hi, Scott. What's up? Hey, George. Thanks for having us. Looking forward to the discussion today with Sam. Yeah, I'm super excited for today's episode. We're inviting Sam Steyer, who is the co-founder and CEO of Greenwork. So, Sam, how's it going there? It's great. Thanks so much for having me on, George. Thank you so much for coming on to the show, Sam. So first thing first, Sam, I know you're building an exciting company called Greenwork, which you started in 2021. So without further ado, please give us a brief introduction about Greenwork. Yeah, a story behind it. Yeah, absolutely. So the ideas behind Greenwork came out of working on the 2020 presidential campaign. My dad, Tom Steyer, was a candidate in the Democratic primary, and we were running on a climate change message. And I'd been working at another clean tech startup where I'd been a co-founder, and I quit to work on the campaign full-time. So I was mostly traveling around the rural parts of Iowa, Nevada, other early primary states, talking about climate change and clean energy. And I was just so struck by how much we were going to have to reindustrialize the United States, you know, build up the construction sector, build up the manufacturing sector. And what an opportunity it was to create, you know, incredible high skill, high paid jobs and revive exactly the parts of the country that were hurt by deindustrialization. So I just became obsessed with that idea on the campaign. We didn't win, as you may have noticed, my dad is not currently the president, but it was an incredible privilege to get to be part of the race and just a wonderful experience. And after the campaign, my friend Godam and I started Greenwork basically with the very high level mandate of we want to build a company that will fight climate change and build up the skilled trades and you know help people grow their careers in the skilled trades. We tried a couple of different models. And what we've ended up building based on you know, what really worked and what, what people wanted in the marketplace is connection between climate tech companies on one hand. So think, for example, of like a company that's making a new kind of battery with construction contractors on the other hand. So local electrical construction companies, electrical contractors or plumbing contractors, because the way that it typically works is the former designs a product, designs a deal for customers, and the latter installs it, maintains it, fixes it. And so we're trying to drive more business to those contractors, help them grow, help them hire more people and be part of the clean energy revolution. That's amazing. And there's so many great information to unpack here. The first thing I think, Sam, you mentioned is like rural America, your journey traveling there, seeing the differences between rural America and the big cities. And I'm sure like, you know, even for Scott and me, like we come from the big cities and it's really rare for someone to go travel to those regions and actually see what the people really need there. So what are the biggest things that you have learned while traveling on the campaign, talking to those people? Yeah, I would say I've learned two things over and over again. One was how painful it is for small towns when people move away. Number one complaint that I heard from voters was my children and grandchildren don't live here anymore. And so I think there's this idea that can sound super easy in sort of like an economics classroom of like people are mobile, they move to where the jobs are, but that actually is profoundly humanly painful. So I think there's a huge value in rebuilding things where people already live. And the second thing was it really undermined for me the idea that the United States is a quote unquote post-industrial society. You know, I think if you like were reading newspapers for the last 15 years, there was a lot of claims that sort of the US was going to be a pure office work and care work economy. And we were just past, you know, physical 
things that was all moving overseas or being automated. And I think that's just so wrong. It just drove home to me how much we still rely on and will always rely on manufacturing, farming, construction, logistics, these things that sort of make our daily world work. The campaign brought me a lot more in touch with those sectors. That's amazing. And I think, Sam, you also mentioned construction as one of the bigger industries. Personally, I have experience working in that industry. So one of my startups is actually helping home improvement professionals, businesses offer financing to their customers. So I have an understanding about how their typical workflow works. Um, and I do know that many of them um, actually don't use anything, you know, clean tech or green tech yet. Is that something that you're trying to accomplish, Sam? Just trying to bring those professionals to a more clean tech awareness and making them use more clean tech? Absolutely. So that's exactly what we're trying to do. From the climate tech company's perspective, who's our customer, they don't really need electrical contractors and HVAC contractors who have deep clean energy experience. They just need electrical contractors and HVAC contractors who are really good at what they do. And those contractors can learn to put in heat pumps or batteries or smart panels or EV chargers quite quickly. So on the one side of our marketplace, we're helping the climate tech companies find high quality contractors. And then on the contractor side, we're really convincing high quality contractors that this is a good thing for their business to invest in. And then just basically telling them where the training is. They know how to pick this stuff up, up really fast. That's amazing. And I remember I was just talking to Scott last week about how companies are actually adjusting to the clean tech phenomenon. I think like Scott, we were discussing something related to many companies when they talk about clean tech, they actually outsource the clean tech side to their producers or their manufacturers. And that's one of the way that they're actually looking to say, oh, we're now clean tech. Also, Sam, like, talk us more about that side of green work. So like which companies are actually your clients right now and which companies are currently targeting for them to create more green jobs. Yeah, so our customers fall in basically two categories and I can give examples. One is essentially a developer of green buildings projects. So for example, we support Block Power, the Brooklyn-based company that works with cities to green multifamily buildings, commercial buildings and public buildings. And they're our customer, they're paying us, but we're helping them connect with top HVAC contractors, electrical contractors, and other construction partners that they need. And you know they know how to do that too. But the benefit that we're bringing them is, uh, number one, we collect, we think, more data than anyone on who the green contractors are. So we, we help them you know, truly see the whole landscape and source everyone and focus on important data points like you know, prioritizing women and minority-owned businesses, for example. And then the second part is just scale. You know, Block Power has sold city-scale electrification contracts to a ton of cities across the country in the last year. So having a partner who can help them rapidly build you know, the same contractor network that they have in New York in new cities is valuable for them. So that's one type of customer. The other customer for us is a climate tech product company that wants to be able to sell direct to consumer. So for example, we're supporting a company that's still in stealth, so I won't say their name, but that's working on essentially a cleaner, better, high-end air conditioning. And they want to be able to you know, sell on their website and send a local HVAC contractor who they trust to do the installation. We're helping them build that network. That's amazing. Yeah. And Scott, I know you have so many experience in clean tech yourselves. How did you meet Sam in the first place? 
like a lot of things these days, you just meet people over the internet, right? I mean, I think it might have started as usual over some social media platforms and then seeing the, the rise and spike and what was going on. I mean, I think like Sam, we, we started early, right? In terms of trying to change the environment. And then all of a sudden, 2022 just became the year. You know, and of course, the stuff with Russia and the Inflation Reduction Act and just everything kind of made a perfect circle for it. So one of the things I'd love to get Sam's opinion on is, do you find that maybe perhaps climate and green tech is cyclical in nature, that people get excited and support it for a while, then their minds kind of move, right? So let's say, for example, the stuff over in Europe kind of slows down or the economies hit massive and major recessions. Do you see the movement kind of slowing and what can keep it kind of on track? Great question. So backwards looking, I would say investment in clean tech or climate tech is super cyclical. You know, there was a huge boom around 2010. There was a huge pullback. A big boom started again in 2018. But mm-hmm. actual adoption and demand and construction, I think, has been nothing but up and to the right over the last 20 years. And then looking forward... I think driven by a scary reality of climate change, I don't think the boom can swing back again. You know, I think there's going to be too many physical reminders from the natural world. And there's too many people younger than me in Gen Z who believe this is an existential threat for them and, you know, not a trend, but sort of core part of their adult life. Yeah, lifestyle, right? And kind of hitting on Gen Z. So I have kids in the Gen Z segment. I do see them wanting to drastically kind of make the effort to really make a change and not just be kind of in the moment, but actually in the moment for life. I'd be curious, do you see, if we take a look at what you're doing with Greenwork and then Gen Z as a whole, and even later generations, education-wise and gearing up for the green economy, do you see areas that you think would be great for focus in terms of people entering through high school and college, trade, advanced degrees, et cetera? Yes, definitely. So perhaps, unfortunately, the educational paths for green jobs in the trades and green jobs in an office are pretty much entirely separate. I think there's a huge, already been a huge boom in demand for white collar climate tech education and jobs. And I'd love to, I'm thrilled to see it. And the venture backed climate tech startups, when they post a business or software engineering role are fielding just a massive number of applications. I think that funnel is working. The other funnel, which is currently not working, is people entering the trades. You know, there was very negative messaging about the trades for the last 10 or 15 years. The sort of, it's all, all the jobs are going to get automated. Everyone should go to college. And turned out that wasn't true. And we need very badly more electricians and HVAC technicians and CNC machinists. And I think that's an open, unsolved problem. There, there are many more, you know, people retiring from the trades every year than there are people entering them. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, it is concerning as we look at installations, if everyone decided to move to electrify their house, their home, their business, we don't have enough people, I think, to be able to... Not even close. Yeah. It is scary and concerning. And that, I think, can also slow momentum down as well. So on that, maybe we talk about costs. How do you think we can address, aside from, I guess, government intervention, the affordability of moving green? Because it's still pretty high. Any ideas around that and George's wall? Because it's certainly thirty, forty thousand per home, hundreds of thousands of millions per business. Certainly can create a gate. And how do we overcome that? Yeah. So my opinion is with the policy that so no new policy, but with the policy that we already have, 
And with financing, there's a lot of net zero stuff we can do today that just makes economic sense. Like it's true that, you know, put it like doing all the green improvements on your home costs 30 or $40,000, as you said. But when you look at it on a levelized cost of electricity basis versus an increasingly expensive and unstable grid, a lot of those changes, you know, economically pencil. And if you can get financing, you can get them with no cost down. So I think that we should just be ramping operations and building all of the in the money solar projects, heat pump projects, building insulation projects that we can. The other place where I think that going green is getting really cheap is utility scale electricity. You know, people are bidding in power purchase agreements at like three cents a kilowatt hour for big solar and wind projects, which is just the cheapest without any government involvement. It's just the cheapest electricity there is. The last part to me is transportation and I still think EVs are basically being sold today as premium cars, like better cars that are at the high end of the price point, which is really working. Like, I think it's really displacing the sort of like expensive family car market. But if we can find a way to get like a truly mass market price EV to skip to sedan to market, that would really help. Yeah, it would. So if we take a look at then kind of the transport side, which is really obviously taking off, you know, I think. Elon, for better or worse, actually gets people excited and discussing it, right? And, you know, you look at where Tesla is to the Korean manufacturers, Japanese manufacturers, and now finally U.S. manufacturers kind of building more solid products. Do you see that EVs, I'm curious on your, your position of EV versus hydrogen. That's been in the news a little bit in terms of our cars and manufacturing. Do you see a difference there? Both obviously clearly pretty net zero on emissions. Yeah. So I'd caveat, I'm sort of moving outside of my depth a little, but my opinion is that passenger cars are going EV. They are faster. It's much, you can charge them at home. There are increasingly tens or hundreds of good models already on the market. I don't think it's close. I think passenger cars are going to be electric, not hydrogen. I think that hydrogen has some advantages for large vehicles and commercial vehicles, you know, for very heavy, long range vehicles that don't want to have to make stops and that don't want to have to carry an immense amount of battery capacity. Hydrogen makes more scientific Mm -hmm. sense. Also, if you're working with a commercial fleet, it might be okay that there's a limited number of hydrogen refueling stations because you're driving set known routes. In terms of eco and environmental impact, I think they're both much, much, much better than petroleum. The issue with EVs is making the batteries. The issue with hydrogen is making sure you're sourcing it cleanly and not making it out of natural gas. But I think they both can be clean. I guess another concern I have, and that keeps coming up. So we saw over the weekend, North Carolina have some issues, clearly a no fault of the utility itself. But, you know, when we have the grid go down, right, and we have a massive electrification need, I'm curious as to what you both think on how we can address that. My opinion always has been community energy microgrids should be the wave of the future, right? For homes to produce, own, and trade excess electricity so that a community of, say, every 1,000, 2,000 homes or businesses can, can partake. But the grid is vulnerable. It is absolutely one of the most distinctive features in the U.S. that we haven't protected enough, if we really think about it. What is your thoughts maybe on how we can do that? And again, with not a great timing for weather and stuff with North Carolina and potentially others. Any thoughts on the grid? Yeah, I think for day-to-day electricity use, the bigger of a sort of load balancing area you can have, the cheaper it is. So I think it's good that we 
you know, have basically three big interconnected grids in the United States. That being said, the more we electrify, the more we can afford for the power to go out. And so I think we need resilient systems where you have a battery or you have your car and you're able to run your home or your community for a short amount of time in the, the midst of an outage. My belief is that it's likely we'll still run sort of a big grid balanced by an ISO or an RT. RTO in like normal times, and it'll be only during blackouts that we use a sort of microgrid capability, but I'm not an expert and could yeah. end up being wrong there. No, I think it's because cars basically are going to be more than transport. They're going to be energy supplies and the vehicle to XXX is key. Choir, as George knows, we're partnering with Smart Car and also Fermata Energy. And I really think it's underutilized if it's just look at transport, you know, you could get many, yeah. many hours out of it. Right. And sometimes even more than just the storage of, say, a Tesla wall or, or some other devices. So I think that's pretty, pretty amazing where we're going. Um, George, anything you want to add? Yeah. I wanted to add something uh, similar to that. So I was actually just remembering uh, from what you said about North Carolina, Scott. I remember in 2020, I think around February, there was also a winter storm in Texas. Yep. And I think clean tech was the debate back then. And I think it was a little bit more of a political debate. My question is, Sam, do you think clean tech is becoming more of like a political debate or is that just for like 2021? It's definitely not just for 2021. The whole time I've worked in climate tech since 2011, the industry has been trying to be viewed as nonpartisan and at times has gotten caught up in being a sort of with the Democrats against the Republicans partisan thing. And I think the more economic success that climate tech has as a business, the more nonpartisan it will be. You know, like if it's cheap and reliable to have solar, people will buy it across the political spectrum. People will work for companies that do climate tech things across the political spectrum. And at the same time, a lot of the big policies that have helped, you know, the Inflation Reduction Act, the Infrastructure Act, the car Internal combustion engine bans in several states, the gas bans in several states have been driven through mostly by Democrats. So I think it's going to live with this tension indefinitely of being like aspirationally completely bipartisan, but getting more political support from Democrats. Scott, what's your take? Yeah, you know, that's almost like a whole separate podcast there, George. <laughs> I, into that. I mean, I would love for it to become a, a nonpartisan issue where I believe actually probably majority of people are sick of associating it, right? Unfortunately, like it is, you know, totally. the politicians are acting one way. The rest of us who are probably more human, you know, sorry, politicians, don't really look at it as a they or them or us or that. Because I do think most people generally on the climate understand that it changes. They might debate how, what, and the reasons why behind it changes. But one thing's for sure, they want the planet to probably stay healthy and they want better air quality. So that's always on the top of people's minds. I mean, Los Angeles from the 80s to now, you couldn't even see the skyline, right? So, I mean, that's one thing that people see and it starts to get them active. I mean, I think that we should get into an area where the debate with government is not... Are we going to have to spend a lot of money to do something? But is it really going to be the ROI that saves it from us doing it? And I think there's a net zero to that piece as well. And you don't need to spend 10 trillion to get three, four X that back longer term on things because, you know, we are out of energy and we're, we're a population that's constantly growing. So I think that's there. So I guess on that, I might be curious. What would you tell, like, if you had a little snippet and you got an elevator pitch with someone who, let's say, is a climate denier, what would you say? (laughs) 
I had to practice this much more in my past job than my current job. I think I would reach for common ground and say, first, we want to bring new technology that lets people have cheap, reliable energy that they can control. It's you know fantastic when a community can be self-sufficient and produce their own energy to drive their own car, to power their own home and not be reliant on a faraway utility or the government. And that's good whether or not it has environmental benefits. And then I think I'd also say, I do believe climate change is caused by burning fossil fuels and is a, a crisis. But whether or not you believe that, I know that we all want to protect the air and the water and the land. And we can debate what that will take, but we have the same goal to preserve America for future generations. George, how about you? What would be your elevator up? Is it 10 stories or 100? <laughs> I, th- I think for me, yeah, I think Sam was completely correct. It's about finding common ground, right? It's about how can clean tech benefit you and how can technologies that combat climate change, even though if you don't believe it, you know, it can still benefit your household, can benefit your neighborhood, it can benefit your city. I think that's the approach that I would take to it. I do. I mean, I have worked with many contractors from my previous business, uh, Simple Direct. So I, I do know many of them will probably be skeptical, Sam. My question to you is like for contractors, for example, what are the steps they can take? For example, like if they want to be contributing to participate, create new green jobs, do they need to change what they're doing now? And how has green work helped them change their company behaviors uh, in the past? Just curious. Yeah, great question. So we, our pitch to contractors is all about economics, not about the environment. You know, they, contractors are running a business and, and they have a responsibility mm-hmm. to run it responsibly and maximize their earnings. So we focus on that. We know they're running a business. Our advice to them is twofold. One, the high quality networks of contractors are worth it. You know, if you get certified on SunPower and join the SunPower network or, or get certified mm-hmm. as a Tesla Powerwall installer, you both will get high quality jobs and you'll spend a higher percentage of your time working and getting paid because jobs will come to you. The other part of our pitch is it's about you know, going where the market is going. And in a lot of the states we operate, there are, you know, gas bans coming. There are, there's the Inflation Reduction Act creating huge rebates for heat pumps and other clean uh, home technology coming. And if you can, you know, become the known provider for heat pumps or span panels or some other green home improvement now, you're going to be sort of standing right at the right place to benefit from a market that's about to explode. That makes sense. Scott? So I think the most amazing thing we're seeing right now is in the startup space. I think that innovation comes from young companies and older companies are going to probably buy and adopt many of what what Sam was talking about. And I think they'll help grow it. So I'm pretty excited on it right now. I mean, I think that most people generally do have a desire to change the world. And we just have a lot out there. And it's going to get going. I think what we need to get to, too, though, is a lot of, you know, hype and words over action. And, you know, one area I think that always gets talked on for me that I always get in heated debates with folks on is carbon credits versus actually reduction in carbon. I think it's a lot easier for people to say, okay, I did a lot of flying on my private jet. I'm planting some trees or I'm paying some fees or for corporations when they're doing it as well, right? And they get their tokens per. I think that's partly a good thing, but it punishes monetarily wise. It doesn't drive necessarily adoption to be completely free of emissions and move to green manufacturing. So I know many companies have said 2030, 2040, 2050, 
But I do think, you know, as long as we keep giving these carbon credits and other things, to me, I think it slows it down because it's a way to have a little bit of an excuse and get punished slightly. Wonder if your opinion on that, actually. Carbon credits versus carbon offsets versus carbon reduction. I don't have a strong opinion on carbon offsets. And I, I know that there's sort of a lot of rigor and debate going into like how they should be counted, what is a legitimate rigorous offset. And so, and I'm just sort of out behind the time. So I don't have a strong view. Something I do feel strongly about is climate change is, you know, a physical problem core, right? It relates back to power plants and cars and proverbial uh, atoms, not bits. And so I do in everything that I'm doing, try to trace the line back to like, what is the coal that's not getting burned or the mile that's not driving or the solar photovoltaic panel that's getting put in place? Because if you can't draw that line, even, you know, a few steps down, then I think you, you need to sort of look at whether you're doing what you're doing is working. But I wish I could be more helpful. I really don't have a strong view on offsets. So let's switch up the topic a little bit. Okay. So we all know over the weekend too, and last week, OpenAI introduced its chat GPT. Yeah. Have you guys had a chance to play with it? I know I have a little bit. Yes, I have. Um, it's certainly interesting. And I've worked at an AI company previous to this. So what's your thoughts on where this is going for AI, not only obviously in the spaceship and technology, but just overall for humanity? Is it moving finally in a direction that we have to start to worry about it? Or is what, you know, OpenAI is doing actually better and going to drive more innovation and other things? Curious, huh? I'm so excited about it. I'm aware of the sort of long-term concerns, but I just think in the at least with the technology as it is today, the ability to automate things that human beings can do but find boring and repetitive is just immense. We we were actually already you know thinking and talking about is there some way to use some of this incredible these incredible language models to make you know, say applying for permits faster or understanding regulations around a specific solar project faster or something, because it struck me not as, you know, a super intelligence, but rather sort of a human-esque intelligence that you could with no marginal cost. And I think for a big deployment problem, that's very regulatory bound where there's tons of modeling and permitting and sort of paperwork, it, it could have really, really positive effects on the cost of deploying energy. Yeah. I think if I'm Google, I'll probably be concerned um, because I think think this new breakthrough just like changed how people might potentially search in the future. And if you guys all think about it for 20 plus years, all we are doing is just searching something into a box, click yes. And then there are so many results that might just be purely engineered to be SEO that might not have been like exactly relevant to you. And not withstanding that there's like five or six different ads on top of and bottom of every search page. So I think that might be slowly transitioning and coming to an end because whatever you're searching with OpenAI's chatbot, I think is very clear and concise and it's still in beta or just came out. So I think if I'm Google, I'll be really concerned. And I think the cost, Scott, is probably like one cent per message. Yeah, it's like one to two they're saying right now. And it's not really horrible. I mean, if they monetize it up and continue it, I mean, it's a great platform. What I love, I loved a little feature on, you know, summarize for a second grade student. It certainly is an interesting one to play with. And when you say something about the planet, here's what it says for the second grade student. We need to take care of the planet or it will die and we won't have anywhere to live. We can help by using less energy, recycling and using less water. So, and I didn't type any of that in. So it is impressive <laughs> that it comes yeah, up here. with something that simple for everyone to get. So, no, I'm excited for it. I think hopefully it augments the human nature and ability to not be so biased 
and things. And my love of AI is that it truly generally tends to be unbiased unless the programmers kind of make it biased, which let's not even get into some software engineers. But no, it's an exciting piece and a tool. I think everyone should come and play with it and, and go forward. So how about this as we kind of get in and, and maybe move on to, to wrap some things up? How is it easiest for folks, Sam, to reach out to Greenworks? What's the, the best way? Yeah. So our website is joingreenwork.com. And we have a sort of form on our homepage, on our landing page, where we give sort of options for contacting us. Just go there, fill it out. The main thing that will happen is I will then email you and I'd love to talk. Awesome. And do you find it that at some point, Greenwork will move into where contractors and everyone will be bidding for each other off the platform? What's the future you'd like to see in a perfect world <laughs> Greenwork? Yes, we are working on that right now. And the future that we'd like to see is, and this is a little broad, but to build a online work community where the climate community and the construction community can productively interact and automate the most boring, painful, repetitive parts of their process and just focus on building, you know, amazing, net zero, beautiful, affordable structures. Awesome. George, anything to wrap up on your end? I'm just hoping that, you know, clean work, uh, clean tech, this industry as a whole, I'm hoping that it can be similar to AI, that it can, you know, in the future soon become apolitical. I just hope that, you know, yeah. both sides of the aisle can see the benefits of clean tech technologies and actually start adopting it without debating who's on the left, who's on the right. That's just my personal wish, Scott. One thing I just quickly on that that I really like is if you survey people like, do you think climate change is an extremely big problem or do you support, it breaks down on political lines. But if you ask people, should we build more clean energy or do you want America to lead the green tech resolution or something like that? It's like 80 or 90%. It's much higher. So I think people can get behind the solutions even if they have different motivations. Okay. Scott, any final thoughts? My final thought is I do. I hope over the next decade, we see some amazing transitions happen, amazing new companies come forward and that Greenwork becomes a, a standard for everything moving into the green economy, man. So congratulations, Sam, Thank on everything. You. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity. It's great to talk to you both.